On this episode in our CrowdCreate Insight series, I'm joined by Brian Estes, the CIO and managing partner of Off the Chain Capital, an investment fund targeting alternative value investments in the digital assets and blockchain projects. Brian is a legend in the cryptosphere and is often called the Bitcoin OG. Founded in 2016, using a Warren Buffett style for finding deeply discounted investment opportunities, Off-the-Chain Capital is now one of the best-performing funds in the space. You'll hear Brian break down his investment thesis and where he sees mispriced digital asset opportunities thriving in the market. Whether you're just getting into crypto, looking for insights from one of the top crypto investment funds in the world, or why off-the-chain capital is the world's largest buyer of Mt. Gox bankruptcy claims. This interview is definitely worth listening to. A lot of people are just wondering, and you know, given your background, how do projects get a hold of crypto investors and, and one of them being you? Do you have any insights that you can share about this? Yeah, so we're a value investor in the blockchain space. So we're looking for um, secondary market transactions with blockchain companies or we're looking for mispriced digital assets. So for new developers coming into the space needing funding, like off the chain isn't the right um, platform for that. Um, but I am a, um, I invested in the general partnership at Polychain Capital back in 2016. I work with the team there and, and that's what Polychain does. So um, Polychain, they invest in new startups, you know, help developers build their platform, you know, find talent, help fund that project. And, um, you know, so Polychain, uh, Paradigm, A16Z, um, you know, Pantera Capital, th those are actually better um, platforms to help find funding than, than off the chain is. Yeah, I also, I also saw just recently, you know, things like OpenSea on their, on their most recent round with their massive valuation. Um, but right. OpenSea, I mean, that, that's an example of one that's not necessarily a startup. They're kind of this undervalued asset that it's, it's on the cutting edge. Um, so how does something like OpenSea or, or someone that fits into to that category get a hold of you? How do, how do they present this in the best light? Like, what are those indicators that you're looking for? Yeah, so what we're looking for are, like I said, mispriced digital assets or undervalued blockchain opportunities. So typically we're investing in a round or later companies or protocols. Um, we're looking for um, companies that are cash flow positive and have you know, little or no debt. And we're looking for like forced and motivated sellers. So a typical um, investment that we make or you know, from early seed investors or early employees that need liquidity. Uh -huh. And so, you know, for example, you know, we own about 7% of um, BitPay today. Um, BitPay is the oldest surviving blockchain company. It's been around for 10 years. Um, we've been accumulating shares over the past eight or nine months. And we're buying shares from the early family and friends that wow. funded the company 10 years ago. So they invested at a, you know, a stock price of 43 cents. Um, we're paying $4.30 per share. Um, so they're making 10 times our money over 10 years. Um, and then we're getting into the company, you know, and, and, you know, this company is, you know, very well established. They have 90% market share. Um, they have $200 million of Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other crypto on their balance sheet. 
and we're paying a $375 million valuation for the company. So if you subtract out the 200 million of assets, we're really only paying $175 million for this company. And in our opinion, the company is worth more than a billion dollars. And so, you know, so that's what we look for. Uh, another thing that, you know, we look for are mispriced digital assets. So we're one of the largest buyers in the world of Mount Gox bankruptcy claims. Wow, so I Mount had no Gox idea. Is, <laughs> yeah, so Mount Gox was the largest custodian of Bitcoin in 2014. Um, the company had to file for bankruptcy, um, but they recovered 141,000 Bitcoin. And so if you had Bitcoin at Mt. Gox, you have a bankruptcy claim on the 141,000 or 141,000 Bitcoin there. And so it's been seven years, you know, people need liquidity every once in a while. They either, you know, getting married, getting divorced, yep. having a baby, buying a new house, you know, wreck their car, they need a new car. And they need to sell these illiquid assets. And so by buying these Mt. Gox bankruptcy claims, we're able to actually buy Bitcoin for about a 60% discount um, than buying it like at Coinbase or, you know, you know, PayPal or, you know, you know, Gemini. So, you know, it gets us a, a discount uh, on Bitcoin. So that's a mispriced digital asset. So, you know, that, that's, what and that's what we're looking for are these special unique opportunities to get exposure to blockchain equity or digital assets at a discount. How do you come across those opportunities? Because what you're describing, you know, the everyday investor, especially when more and more people are trying to get into Bitcoin, it's like those methods of acquiring crypto assets. It's, it's not like, how, how does your firm hard. come across yeah, these? It's hard, yeah. it's hard work. Yeah. So, so I've been in the space for seven years. Um, um, our head trader, Jeremy, He's been in space since 2012, either, even longer than I have. Our COO, um, he's been in the space since 2012, Brian Dixon. Um, he's wrote several books about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So we basically use our network. And you know, we're, we're knocking on a lot of doors for the Mt. Gox bankruptcy claims directly. We have a team in London and New York that you know, go out and they contact people who have these claims. And they're sending emails, sitting sending written letters, you know, they're not knocking on doors, but basically <laughs> digital, they're doors. On door. digital doors <laughs> um, and just saying, Hey, if you need liquidity, let us know. And we'll, you know, we're willing to bid on, on these, you know, illiquid claims that you have. And so, you know, BitPay, you know, that came through um, the original shares came from one of the early seed investors that I know. Um, we also own equity and digital currency group. Um, which is, you know, which owns Grayscale funds. Yep, yep. So Grayscale is the largest asset manager in the digital space. You know, they have about $30 billion under management. Um, you know, we've had DCG in the portfolio for two years. Personally, I've been an investor in DCG since 2015. Um, and so, you know, we buy from, you know, employees or early seed investors at DCG. Um, we have Kraken in the portfolio that we bought. Wow, that was we a own, massive, that's a massive win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we own um, 1, 1.25 million shares of Kraken. Our average cost is um, $1.5 billion in valuation. And Kraken trades pretty actively between a 10 and a $15 billion valuation today. And we just bought that less than a year ago. Wow. So, yeah. so that's, you know, we're, you know, we're looking for these special unique opportunities they get us exposure at a, at a discount. So it really sounds like those, uh, you know, just 
finding those deals and opportunities kind of come through your immediate network of the people you either work it's networking. with. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, what are it's... some what are some other indicators that you that you use? Because I know a lot of companies they'll look for. I guess every day investor also looks for this, but let's say like indicators through social media or the coverage or let's say YouTube influencers who, you know, that's, that's their full-time job is in covering these opportunities too. Yeah. I wish we could use those, but um, <laughs> we're registered with the SEC as a registered investment advisor. So we have to be very careful with our, like our digital for, footprint and using social media to define deals or, uh, you know, to sell some of our equity. So, um, so having said that it's, you know, it's all word of mouth or private networks that we work through to, to find these special opportunities. You've been in that space for a long time. Uh, I've been looking into some of your history and yeah, you've been, you've been definitely on the investment front, uh, helping these, like, you know, these larger institutions manage capital. And I remember reading, um, that you discovered it in 2014, you kind of saw it on by the Winklevoss brothers on CNBC, right. and it kind of mm -hmm. opened opened that you know spark for you. Uh, now, now that we're 2021, like looking back on that, uh, what what are your thoughts? Were you were you spot on? Is this? <laughs> what, yeah. What are your so I, when I first learned about Bitcoin, um, I saw like you said Tyler and Cameron on CNBC talking about Bitcoin when it was a hundred dollars per you know, per coin. Um, coming from traditional finance, you know, I, I, I thought it was like a scam. I, I just, you know, I was like, what are, they get, what are these guys talking about? You know, this internet funny money. I, I just thought for sure it was some sort of like pump and dump scheme. And so I started just following Bitcoin, um, just the price. I, you know, I didn't take the time to, you know, dive into it. And I watched the price go from 100 all the way up to 1200. Then Mount Gox got hacked. And then the price crashed down to about 300. And when it got down to 300, being a value investor, I decided, well, let me take a look and figure this thing out because mm. maybe there's some value opportunity there, you know, with, you know, with Bitcoin being down 70%. And so as soon as I read the Satoshi Nakamoto white paper, I understood what Bitcoin was. I, I understood how we were going to rebuild our entire financial system on blockchain technology. And um, I, I come from a computer science background. I was one of those, you know, like teenage nerdy kids that started coding when I was 14. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, you know, I self-taught, you know, myself. I have multiple software patents. I used to code for the Air Force when I was in high school. Wow, and, that's awesome. Uh, so I had this computer science background. But when I went to college, this was pre-internet. I was in college from 86 to 1990. And I didn't think there was a future in computers. And so I became a finance major. And so basically what I've done is I've taken that early computer science background and knowledge and combined it with finance. And I, I just understood as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, you know, I was like, you know, I, I understand what this means and what the future is going to be. And um, I, you know, my, I talked to my wife and uh, allowing me to sell our financial practice. Um, I sold that to Wells Fargo advisors. And then I took our capital and became a you know, a venture capitalist in the blockchain space back in 2014 and 15 and made early investments in my digital currency group, Coinbase back then. Oh. Um, I, you know, helped seed a company called Polychain Capital. And, you know, I just started making these private investments in companies. And then two years ago, we decided to take our family office investment fund off the chain capital 
and open it up to outside investors. Um, and that's what we've been doing the last two years. Where it's it's my family fund. I'm the largest investor in the fund, and we're you know people. We just allow people to come in and co-invest with what we're doing already. And if you look at the performance of the fund, it's the number one performing blockchain fund over the past three and four years. Um, and that's because we have this value tent. We're looking for, like I said, these special, unique opportunities. Wow. And I know a lot of the you know, common talk around fund managers is who has beat you know, Bitcoin and who is. Yeah, there's before. two. Yeah, there's <laughs> two funds. Polychain Fund One and Off the Chain Capital are the only two funds I know of that have outperformed Bitcoin over the last four years. That's 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 fascinating. And it's both of the, the ones that you're directly involved with. Uh, Brian, you're really you're really a smart um, and forefront thinker. You know, it's, what's interesting is I just I just interviewed Miko Matsumura yesterday from Gumi Ventures. And it's funny because both you and him said the same thing. It's like you guys read the white paper, the one written by Satoshi, and you got it. And it was because you had a technical background. It just made sense. And it's just so funny because hearing the way you described it is almost the same way that Miko described it. It just clicked. And it's like, hey, this is the future. Yeah. Well, I used to code in like those ancient languages like Fortran and Pascal. And yeah, and I, and I knew our you know, banking system was built on like, you know, those languages. And, you know, these are languages we've been using for, you know, 50 or 60 years. And, you know, I just understood that, you know, blockchain technology was going to replace all that. And, and what, what the internet was missing when it was built back in the early 90s was a protocol that allowed us to send value through the internet peer to peer. You know, we had um, protocols like SMTP, mm-hmm. which is email, that allows us to send data through the internet, right? And we had like DNS, you know, for domain names, but we didn't have a, internet open source internet protocol that allowed us to send value and no one could figure that out you know mark andreessen tried figuring that out with netscape yep. peter Thiel and elon musk tried figuring that out in 1998 when they started paypal now paypal's original mission was to create bitcoin you know if you read what their original mission was they wanted to create a um, currency that was independent from governments and central banks and they couldn't be manipulated. And they tried to figure out, you know, basically Bitcoin and they couldn't figure that out either. And then it was, you know, Satoshi Nakamoto who finally put the puzzle together and released the white paper. And in 2009, you know, we, we had what was missing in the internet for 20 years. And that was this, you know, open source internet protocol software um, that allows us to send value. And you know, it solved the problem that people were working on for the twenty years before that. Oh wow! I, I didn't know the historical context of PayPal. That's that's fascinating. That you kind of pieced it all together that way. But yeah, yeah. yeah Peter Thiel, um, you know, Elon Musk, and then another guy named Luke Nosek, and you know, the, those three guys came together to, you know, they they actually combined two separate companies into one and and created PayPal. Uh, but they had a similar mission. You know, their mission was to create something like Bitcoin. And, you know, they could have figured it out. And here we are. It's been figured out. And the world is now coming to terms of yeah, what, so, what so is the world it's too. If you look at PayPal, you know, their stock's gone from like 80 up to 300. And that's because they, you know, they've reformatted the company back into a blockchain company. You know, the, their DNA is Bitcoin and blockchain. 
Um, they bought Venmo five years ago. Venmo is a blockchain-based application um, owned by PayPal today. Um, and then, you know, I guess it was probably four or five months ago, they started allowing purchases of Bitcoin, um, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin uh, on their platform. So, you know, PayPal is, is transforming themselves into a blockchain company. And that's what they started out as back in 1998. And, and that's what they're transforming into today. Interesting. It's come a full circle. Mm -hmm. Wow. Right. You have, you have so much insight. And that kind of brings me back to my final topic I wanted to uh, talk to you about. So with, you know, PayPal opening up crypto and, and now the everyday person can buy, you know, they just go into their PayPal and now they can buy crypto. Um, a lot of people are now getting into crypto assets. Um, you know, what would you say like to a beginner? You know, how, how do I invest into Bitcoin and why? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways of doing it, depending on um, what your motive is. So if your motive is to control your own wealth and keep it, you know, basically a sovereign individual, then you want to own Bitcoin directly and keep that on what's called a hard wallet or you know, cold storage wallet, like a you know, like a ledger treasure device. And you know, um, you know, I, I think it's. Um, it was um, Twitter, no, Square. Square is working on a new hardware platform too, hardware solution. So, you know, if you're, like I said, you're, if your goal is to self-custody your own money, then, you know, you want to buy Bitcoin directly and, and do that through a you know, hard wallet, um, like a cold storage device. Is If your goal is to just participate and have portfolio diversification, um, you want to do it in probably a more, like standardized way or more like, like a safer way. Um, Cause when you self custody, you run the risk of screwing that up and then losing your Bitcoin. And, you know, there are studies out there that show, you know, there's probably between like three to 4 million Bitcoin that have been mismanaged and people lost their keys. And wow. so that Bitcoin's inaccessible now. They, they basically lost all their money when they did that. Um, so a more traditional route is you invest through a brokerage account so if you have a, an account at like Schwab, Fidelity, E-Trade, um, Vanguard, um, TD Ameritrade, um, you could buy the Grayscale funds. So Grayscale has a fund called the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. The symbol is GBTC. And you could invest in that um, directly through your brokerage account. Um, and that fund is 100% exposed to Bitcoin. Um, if you want to own Bitcoin directly, but keep it at a custodian, um, you could do that through Fidelity. Um, if you have a million dollar, they have a million dollar minimum. Um, if it's under a million dollars, you can go to other companies like um, Coinbase or River Financial, um, or you could even go to PayPal. Um, PayPal allows you to buy up to $100,000 per week in Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Ethereum. The only one I'd recommend though would be Bitcoin. And why is that? And so Bitcoin's the only proven protocol out there that's one, it's category. So I don't wanna get too technical here, but there's two types of blockchains. There's proof of work blockchains and proof of stake blockchains. Ethereum is converting over from proof of work to proof of stake. After Ethereum does that, if you look at the value of all the proof of work blockchains that are remaining, the other proof of work blockchains are Bitcoin, Doge, Bitcoin Cash, 
Litecoin, um, Zcash, Monero. If you take the value of all the remaining proof of work blockchains, Bitcoin constitutes 88% of the value of all those. So Bitcoin won. You know, the, the decision has been made. The, you know, the world, you know, economy and the world consensus you know, <laughs> consensus has said Bitcoin is the winner for proof of work. And proof of work basically means store of value. So, you know, Bitcoin has won that category as the store of value blockchain. So it's in the process of replacing gold as the monetary layer of the, or, uh, of the world. And so it's going to take another, you know, five to 10 years for that to happen. But eventually, you know, Bitcoin will replace gold. And then it will go on to replace other assets like, you know, negative yielding bonds, the bond market, potentially stocks, potentially, you know, rare assets like the Hope Diamond or the Mona Lisa or, you know, other scarce assets. Mm -hmm. And so Bitcoin's on this path to, you know, becoming the scarcest asset on earth. Um, the other proof of stake blockchains like Ethereum 2.0, Tezos, you know, EOS, they're fighting it out. You know, the decision hasn't been made on which one of those protocols are going to be the winner. And so there's, in my opinion, there's too much risk with those protocols because only one out of 10 of those will survive. And it may be one out of 100 will survive. And so on a, you know, on a you know, risk adjusted basis, owning Bitcoin is the best thing to do. You know, it's the winner for its category. We know Bitcoin will be around 100 years from now. And we can't say that for all the other protocols that are out there. That's a, a well... Well explained answer, and Brian, I can tell you've been asked that quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. No, that was great, and um, yeah, that definitely answers. Um, we get so many questions like that, and it's always I, I love the way you broke it down: proof of work, proof of stake, and kind of Bitcoin has already established its yeah. dominance. And, and, no, and most people try to overthink things, and I, I've run into this problem too. Mm -hmm. You know, like you know, maybe I could buy Bitcoin at a low price and sell it at a high price and trade it, and you can't do that. No one could out. Think Bitcoin, and so you want to just do what the the simplest solution is: just buy Bitcoin and hold it for the next ten years, and, and don't trade it. You know, don't sell it. Just just buy and hold. And if you could do that, you know, you're going to be, in my opinion, very very successful. You know, over the past um, eleven years that Bitcoin's been around, it's averaged two hundred and thirty nine percent per year on average. You know, some years it's up a thousand percent, other years it's down 80%. But if you average all those years out, it's 239% per year. And occasionally it drops 30 to 50% in a very short time period. Um, but that's the price that you pay to own an asset that's grown at over 200% a year. You know, it's not, you don't get a free 200% a year. There's a cost of that. And that cost is the volatility. And if you could just hold it long enough, what happens is that time, smooths out that volatility, that, that volatility smooths out over time. And so the longer you own it, the less volatile it looks. Those are some great insights. And Brian, I, I really want to thank you for your time and getting to know you and having a chat um, and really sharing that knowledge. It really puts things into perspective. And I know many of our listeners are, you know, especially right now when there's so much volatility, you know, that kind of outside larger picture perspective um, is kind of what kind of what the industry needs. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
Yeah, Brian, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for your time. Looking forward to having you at the next one. Yeah, thank you. Okay. I'll see you. All right. Bye. Thanks, Brian. Okay, so I'll stop it there. But yeah, that was awesome. Thank you so much for that, Brian. You... Yeah. <laughs> I was reading a lot, of, a lot of things about you. And yeah, you've been in space for, for longer than most people have realized. So Yeah, I, I try to keep a very low profile because our, our kids were like in junior high and high school and you know it's just yeah just wanted they're in college now but yeah, <laughs> you know just you know wanted to you know stay out of the limelight so yeah that's that's probably a good good idea for the kids <laughs> you know i was i was kind of just just a quick little chat and this is going to be outside of it but actually let me pause the recording but you know it's so interesting that you mentioned just holding it because i know a lot of people they're putting like recording stuff farming they've been you know, there's a lot of these new DeFi yield farming, you know, staking. It's kind mm -hmm. of turning, turning. I don't know how to describe it, but like Binance has all of these uh, staking, you know, mechanisms and people are starting right. to look at crypto, not as just an investment vehicle, but like mm -hmm. replacing residual income even. And Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that DeFi platform promise that you just mentioned. Um, it, in my opinion, it's just too early. So, and having said that, you know, I have a third of my net worth managed at Polychain and that's what Polychain does. I mean, they're invested heavily into DeFi. I don't have, personally, I don't have the expertise to, to pick the winners or the losers in, in that category. So I let Olaf and the team at Polychain do that for me. Um, you know, and then a third of my net worth is just in Bitcoin, just holding that. And the other third is in the off the chain value opportunities that, that we come across. Um, so, you know, but if you look at, you know, DeFi, it has a lot of potential, um, but it's just, you know, it's just very, very, you have to have that specialized knowledge to pick the winners. And for me, it's too early to be able to do that. That's great. Okay. Get and, we know, and we know Bitcoin's to be a winner. So, you know, that's so I, like I could, you know, pick one of these hundred and maybe, you know, get it right and make more than Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, or I could just pick Bitcoin. And I, I just feel it's a lot safer just to buy Bitcoin. Yeah. Me and my co founder are in the same position. It's like, yeah, you can play around and spend a lot of time, or you just park it in like Bitcoin or Ethereum and just mm -hmm. like, did you really beat? the markets by kind of tossing it around between these yield farms and right. you have impermanent yeah. loss. And it's like, do you really know what's coming back to you? And <laughs> it's, right. uh, it's a, yeah, it's very new and nascent. So so that's the, good. One of the partners at A16Z told me that back in 2014, I was having breakfast, breakfast with her and I was trying to get into the Coinbase A round. Oh yeah. And, uh, and you know, I asked her, I was like, can you help me get into the A round? And she's like, why do you want to buy Coinbase? And I'm like, well, because it's a company and it has a lot of potential and reminds me of, you know, the company I, you know, I, I started my career at AG Edwards, which is a brokerage firm. Uh -huh. And um, she's like, just buy Bitcoin. I'm like, well, like, don't you, won't you make more owning Coinbase? And she's like, no, like, you'll make more owning Bitcoin. Like, just buy Bitcoin and hold it. And I thought she was just trying to make me feel better yeah. because I couldn't get into Coinbase. Um, but I eventually got into it and looking at my performance, if I would have taken her advice and just bought Bitcoin at 2014 in 2014, instead of Coinbase, I would have done a lot better with Bitcoin. And she said the reason that A16Z 
has to invest in Coinbase is because at the time they couldn't invest in Bitcoin. You know, that would oh. make them an asset manager. And, you know, they weren't an asset manager, they're a venture firm. So they have to fund new startup companies. Oh, wow. Um, and, and about a year and a half ago, A16Z registered with the SEC as an investment advisor. Now that they're an investment advisor, they, can. they, could, buy Bitcoin, they could buy Bitcoin directly. How does she have and the insight? Can. That's fascinating that she had the insight in 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, and I, you know, but I, I, I look over, I look at my investments, you know, and I would have been so much better off just buying Bitcoin and holding it <laughs> than doing what I did over the last seven years. Wow, that's fascinating. No, Brad, thank you so much. Like, it's, it's just enjoyable just talking to someone that's been in the space for so long.